the ones that I do know, they want to stay. They want to stay in hospitality and we're basically turning them away to, to other industries, legal or illegal. We started the week on Dirty Linen covering the rule changes around international students and their working rights. We are ending the week talking about the same topic from a different perspective. We started the week uh, with an international student who gave us a really uh, insightful perspective on life, uh, yeah, life with that status and with the uncertainties that go with it. We are finishing the week in Sydney with Cameron Ellis, uh, who's a Senior Operations Manager for Oz Venue Co, uh, with rosters totaling more than 250 staff. Cam, welcome to Dirty Linen. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little about your tell us a little bit about your work and, and your role uh, with the pubs in Sydney. Yeah, so basically I'm an area manager, um, but I support the venue managers uh, coming from that uh, particular role myself. <coughs> Excuse me, and um, <coughs> and uh, yeah, so I basically run those venues uh, in conjunction with the venue managers, all of their staff, their rostering needs, their requirements, uh, compliance-wise, uh, financially, uh, you know, oversee all of their costs, and yeah, yeah, just making sure that they're all uh, keeping their noses clean. <laughs> which I'm sure they are. It sounds like a very busy role. Which part of Sydney are you based and, and what, what venues do you oversee? Uh, so Sydney CBD mainly. Um, uh, so Bungalow 8 uh, is uh, one of the bigger ones. And then I also have the winery, Kingsley Steakhouse, uh, Little Pearl, um, uh, the Brewdog and um, in, in South Everly as well. Oh, right. So a real diversity of venues. And I, yeah, I guess um, the group has, you know, has sort of classic pubs, but also so many different venues as well. So yeah, it sounds, certainly sounds like a role that would keep you very busy. Um, our focus today is international students. Can you tell us about the role that they play in the venues? Uh, they're integral. Yeah. So we've, um, we use them uh, in all facets of the business, there's, uh, you know, from, from back of house to front of house, uh, you know, uh, operations, um, yeah, probably 30 to 40% of our workforce um, is in uh, in the student visa program or wanting to be in the student visa program coming off a working holiday visa. Um, so, yeah, we've got a, a large history of, uh, you know, having these guys come through and then during COVID when they were uh, the ones that stayed here, um, yeah, they're the ones who became, you know, full-time managers and, and staff on more than, you know, more than the regular hours, uh, you know, who are integral to our business. That is amazing that it's like 30 to 40%. That I was, I mean, I knew they'd be important. I did not know that it would be that proportion. That's really, really full on. So, you know, as a lot of people know, during the um during 2020 when there were lockdowns uh student international students weren't able to access job keeper um so if businesses were able to give them hours they often did because that was the only way that they could get by their, their working restrictions were also eased so it used to be that students were allowed to work 40 hours a fortnight those limits were um were removed um but what's happening on 1st of july is limits are being reinstated it's 48 hours instead of 40 hours a fortnight but it is still well you tell me cam like what difference is that going to make to them and to your businesses um look it comes as a bit of a shock that it wasn't reviewed um uh, not given the fact that i don't think anyone's considered the fact that they've made lies for themselves here the ones that stuck it out that with money from home that didn't have job keeper are now renewing their student 
courses and 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 fulfilling their visas, but have also taken up full time work in, either in conjunction with their studies or you know outside of their studies. Um, it just it just means yeah, hundreds and hundreds of hours per week of of labour that I won't be able to fill, um, not at the drop of a hat, and I don't think. Uh, in this, uh, in, in the way that we are recruiting uh, and our ability to recruit in, in in Sydney, especially, I don't think we're able to, we're going to be able to fill it. Yeah, it's pretty worrying. I mean, I mean, what are you hearing from some of these workers about the difference it's going to make to them financially, just in terms of being able to support themselves in an expensive place like Sydney? Well, Sydney is the most expensive place um, in Australia, as far as I'm concerned, and I'm <laughs> I'm from here. I, I know, but to hear it from them, it's it's pretty eye-watering uh, stuff. That you know, there's no way you can support yourself off what the the extra four hours they're going to give them per week um, in the, in the new uh, rollout of this program. Twenty-four hours a week won't cover rent <laughs> for a lot of these guys, um, let alone living costs. Um, and I know that they were supposed to. The government wants them to come here with money and not expect to be able to work, but that's horseshit. It's, it's really, <laughs> for our industry, um, the people that want to uh, work and study and maybe become professionals in our industry, it actually is just a massive slap in the face. Um, they're not going to be able to do that, not in Sydney and not working in the CBD. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is interesting. I mean, you say it's horse shit. I've got to agree because on the one hand, the government allows there to be, you know, the hundreds of thousands of education places and it's simply not realistic to think that all of those places are going to be filled by students who are, you know, borrowing from the bank of mum and dad. Uh, these are people in all kinds of family and financial circumstances, um, aren't they? Yeah, correct. And I can tell you right now that um, I, 80% of them will go out and either find cash in hand work or illegal work over, you know, to be able to support themselves um, if, if the government sticks to these rules. Um, we can't stop that. We run a, a, an ethical, moral and legal business um, where basically we won't allow them to work over 24 hours, but then some of them will risk their visas by going to another company saying they don't have a job and you know there's no checks done they'll they'll risk their status permanently in the country by by just being able to uh, by by working and by trying to earn money in other companies and then there's the whole side of the, the cash in hand work so you know the the mum and pup cafes might be going uh, you know yeah, might be really excited about the new changes because people will be falling out of my industry fully trained um, and have been paid to, you know, to, to fulfill their roles for a long time and then having to, you know, drop 20 hours a week and, and work for, um, you know, the cafe on the corner that might pay them cash in hand. Again, jeopardising their future in the country. That's, yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't really thought of it in terms of the investment that you've made with training with these people Um and yeah, that they're actually a pretty good prospect for businesses that are op operating outside of the law or on the fringes there. Um, I mean, what other risks do you think there are for people who uh, put themselves into the cash economy in that way? Um, well, many of the ones that we have uh, do either see or plan a future in Australia, um, whether it be later on or, you know, down the track or, or now. Um, and they're risking their ability to stay in the country. They will get booted if they get caught. Um, and that was, you know, the, the fear um, that they all went through before all of the COVID uh, lockdowns and changes to rules happened. Um, and it's definitely going to be the fear now, especially once they've settled up, uh, signed leases and 
um, and now having to, you know, consider having to drop 20 hours a week. Yeah. And so from your point of view with these five big, busy venues, you've been relying on these hours. Um, what what will the impact be on these uh, venues? Uh, straight off the bat, I've, I've, we have to recruit. Uh, basically, um, you know, not knowing if the, anything's going to change, and I doubt it will. I was in a liquor record meeting last night where they said it wouldn't. Um, where uh, members for the AHA and and uh, areas of our um, industry kind of spoke, and they 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 were telling everyone to plan for it, which we'd already started um, but we will have to recruit uh, there's full-time managers there's sous chefs um, there's people that are required to work you know up up to you know 40 42 hours a week um, and not being able to fill their roles so um, across my patch I mean I think that's why I was recommended to do this uh, course yeah it's it's got to be about 40 people um, totaling uh, yeah hundreds and hundreds of hours so we um, yeah we just have to recruit basically and I mean, recruiting is one thing, but recruiting skilled workers is another. Like, what is the landscape like at the moment in terms of hiring the people that you need? Well, we haven't been hiring skilled hospitality professionals for a, a long time um, in general. Um, we like to hire on, you know, uh, attitude and and prospects and, and, and people that want to consider themselves uh, as hospitality professionals in the future. So um, we hire, we spend the money, we train and develop. And, um, yeah, we do really well at that in, in my company especially. So, um, yeah, uh, it's not going to be it's not going to be easy um, to, not to find the people like for like that replace the ones that we've trained or, you know, developed over time. It also must be annoying for people like a, a sous chef or a venue manager. I mean, these are senior roles, you know, and they probably don't want to piece together a bit of work here, a bit of work there. You know, they, these are people that are taking their careers quite seriously. Correct, yeah, and I can't speak for them and what they're studying, um, but, you know, the the ones that I do know, they want to stay. They want to stay in hospitality, and we're basically turning them away to, to other industries, legal or illegal, uh, potentially. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's going to be a, a tough time for them, that's for sure. Cam, let's speak a bit more generally about your role and, you know, <laughs> the good things perhaps about it as well as the frustrating things. Tell us a bit about yourself and what took you into this work. Oh, okay. I've been in the industry for 22 years. Um, I, yeah, fell into it uh, at uh, through my um, football coach who was the licensee of the old Oxford Tavern. Um, so during high school, I was filling the... Uh, the, the jelly wrestling pool with hydroponics jelly and and getting the girls ready and and uh, yeah hosting jelly jelly wrestling competitions and that got me into bars and selling <laughs> got me into you know uh, stocking the kegs and then once I turned eighteen I was uh, you know f um, yeah ready to make drinks and serve and uh, you know I lourished uh, the fact that you know hospitality you know, what what it, what you can do what you can bring out in people um, you know the camaraderie. And, um, you know, the satisfaction you get from, you know, putting on a good show and, and, and helping people. So, yeah, I uh, went through that and lived in London, New York, uh, opened bars in Melbourne. Um, yeah, turned it into a, a, a pretty, pretty good career. Yeah, ended up with uh, Australian Venue Co. and um, was managing uh, the Bungalow 8 venue, which I still manage and oversee, and uh, moved up to senior operations from there. Wow. I, I honestly don't think I've had anyone on this podcast before who started off um, with jelly wrestling. 
No, <laughs> I know a few. So yeah, you can get <laughs> well, I guess you'd be the guy. To, you'd be the guy with those connections. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, definitely. They've all got different stories, but uh, all of the ones I know have stayed in hospitality. So maybe it's maybe there's something there. <laughs> yeah, it must be a yeah a really um, good place to start. Um, what sort of changes have you seen over those two decades, Cam? Just in terms of you know the professionalisation of the industry and the possibility of for people to see it as a really viable career. What well, I, I guess it started as the easiest possible thing. It was the coolest job to have. You know, um, you know, going from school to you know fill up the jelly pool, uh, and then you know serving my friends at some of the best bars, and I opened Ivy and Maryvale, and and have worked some really nice places where people wanted to go, and people wanted to work in my industry, um, and it's turned into being one of the hardest, if not the most hard part of uh, what we do um, is recruiting people to, to be in our industry. So it turned into an easy, you're holding them back at the door to uh, uh, going out and searching and having to you know, talk to agencies and recruitment agencies and, and going overseas, for example, to, to recruit chefs from other countries. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's completely changed. Um, it was going that way before before COVID, I think um, there's a lot more ways to make money that are, are not, well, probably as cool <laughs> these days. And I don't, you know, I'm, I'm 40, so I, I don't really know. But um, yeah, there, there's other ways to make money and working after midnight is, is not one of them. And it's not seen as a, a, a really viable long-term uh, profession. So I think, uh, you know, uh, maybe there's a few parents out there that, you know, we know you could possibly speak to later on and find out why that, it's not encouraged, uh, you know, uh, for for an eighteen-year-old to twenty-two-year-old to to support themselves through uh, university. Um, it's just not just not needed anymore. Um, not in Sydney, anyway. Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean. It- Working after midnight was always part of the deal, if you especially, you know, obviously in bars. I mean, why do you, do you just think it's because there are other options or do you think people, are, I don't know, they just have a, more of a sense of work-life balance or, um, yeah, I mean, what, what do you think it is? I, I really don't know, to, uh, to be honest. Um, it, is, it is hard work but uh, and we obviously can fill the rosters after, after midnight. Um, so people who do it, uh, enjoy it, um, but I just think it's it's less cool. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's something. It's not something that you know you 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 can't wait to work with your friends and you know have a drink and 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 party after work or at least have staffies. And there's there's a lot more rules these days um, compared to when you know uh, I, I first started. They might have something to do with it, but I really just can't say. I think there's just more options, especially in digital media and and other avenues that didn't exist when I was uh, coming through the ranks for unskilled. And, you know, maybe someone who needed direction, uh, maybe they have more direction now and it's just not towards hospitality. Mm, yeah, it's a um, bit of a sad picture that you paint, especially because people still want to go out at night. But um, if you're going to go out, you need the people that are going to be there um, serving, serving you. <laughs> yeah, correct. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll find them. Uh, it's not a, a completely sad picture and I'm sorry to have to <laughs> paint it that way. Uh, we, we will find the staff and um, we generally do well from the staff we currently have uh, going out to their friends and them telling them how, how how fun it is and how fun it can be and and profitable as well the industry pays really well now um, we've done well with the um, the higher uh, rates and, and standards and and conditions of you know our workforce as well so it is an actually 
really fun job. Um, just, yeah, finding staff isn't as easy as it used to be. Yeah. And Cam, what is it that you love about what you do? Uh, building the people beneath me, you know, seeing them grow in confidence um, and, you know, grow more qualities and, and shoot through the ranks faster than I did, for example. <laughs> you know, like really just uh, progress, progressing the people beneath you and inspiring like hospitality as a career, um, you know, to the ones beneath them even. Oh, well, I wish you all the best with this challenging time. It would be good to think that um, these rules might be looked at again, but it seems like in the meantime you'll be back on the recruiting front line and, um, yeah, I hope you, hope you have some great people knocking on the door. No, I'm sure we will and um, we'll be fine. And, yeah, definitely it's not going to affect uh, the customers coming out to us. Uh, there's definitely a market there. We just, uh, yeah, need to reshift our focus as, as to how we, um, how we staff our teams. So, yeah, all good. Well, thanks so much, Cam. Thanks for sharing with us today. Thanks, Danny. Appreciate it. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.